Well, good morning to you all. My name is Jamie, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. We're going to pick up where we left off last Lord's Day in verse 31, and uh, we're going to finish out chapter 18 uh, this morning. We've been in Luke 18 for a little over a month now, I guess, and um, been enjoying our time in this beautiful chapter, one of my favorite chapters in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be uh, reading from verse 31 down to the end of the chapter. I'll read the passage, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then work our way through. It should be around 45 minutes or so. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there is one provided for you in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you're kind of new to the Bible, the uh, passage we'll be considering, Luke 18, is found on page 878 of the church Bible, top left-hand corner, which is where I'll be reading now. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 31, this is the word of the Lord. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. After flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the glories of Jesus Christ. Please, enable the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened that we would know the beauty of Jesus Christ, grow in our knowledge of Him and of His wonderful inheritance in the saints. Please take this truth and write it upon our hearts that it may bear fruit through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you grew up singing the hymn, Pass Me Not, by Fanny Crosby. It's a lovely hymn. It was written in 1868, so in the church hymnal. Personally, I didn't grow up singing that hymn. I was introduced to a version of that hymn when it appeared as a track on the 1991 album, Too Legit to Quit, by MC Hammer. Seriously, look it up. 
Now, what you may not know is that Fanny Crosby wrote more than 8,000 hymns in her lifetime. Sixteen of them appear in our hymnal. She also wrote Blessed Assurance. In her day, Fanny Crosby was called the queen of gospel songwriters long before anybody even knew what a Beyonce was. Another thing that you may not know is that Fanny Crosby was blind. She had lost her eyesight as a child, and so when she penned the lyrics, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. She was channeling the blind beggar of Luke 18. You know, there's one thing worse than being blind, and that is not knowing that you're blind. Most people in the world who see are blind. You see, the Bible teaches that God gave you two sets of eyes, your physical eyes, the ones in your head, and your spiritual eyes, the ones in your heart. Most people alive today can see physically, but their eyes are dark. They don't know what they don't know spiritually. Few understood this better than the Apostle Paul. Before he was a Christian, the risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him and knocked him on the ground and blinded him. And then Jesus told him this, I am sending you to open eyes so that Gentiles may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul repented and believed. And the Bible says that something like scales fell from his eyes and he saw clearly. And he devoted his life to the Lord Jesus and to opening blind eyes to the glories of Christ. The two passages which make up our passage here today may seem unrelated. They may seem out of place. So we have the Lord Jesus Christ predicting seven details of his death and his resurrection, which the disciples don't understand. We have a blind beggar being healed and bringing glory to Christ. And so the question is, what do these two passages have to do with one another? What do they have to do with what the gospel writer Luke has been telling us in Luke 18? Why did he put these two paragraphs re right here in his gospel? Of course, over the last month in Luke 18, we've learned a number of things about God. The, the Lord has taught us that God answers the prayers of his people. We've learned that God saves his people by grace through faith. We learned that God is a father who loves to give gifts to his children and that we should receive the kingdom just like a child opening a present at Christmas. So what does Jesus, predicting his death and resurrection, healing a blind man, have to do with any of that? Well, it has a lot to do with that. 
It has a lot to do with what Luke has been doing in Luke 18, and it has a lot to do with what Luke has been doing in the whole Gospel of Luke. Well, you remember from way back in chapter 1, Luke was not an eyewitness to any of the things that he's written in this Gospel. Rather, he collected information by interviewing those eyewitnesses who were. He wrote this Gospel to a man named Theophilus to give that man certainty about the things that he had been taught regarding Jesus Christ. So the Gospel of Luke was written to give certainty so that someone who had heard about Jesus Christ would have certainty about who he truly is. And so notice now what we have in the passage before us. We have 12 seeing disciples who are blind. And we have a blind beggar who sees. We have Jesus Christ opening the eyes of the blind, who then follows him, gives glory to God, and rouses others to praise him. Well, from that, we can put together the main point that we'll be driving at this morning, which is this. You, dear Christian, all of us are blind beggars who've received the Lord's mercy. So follow him, glorify him, that others would see and give praise to God. We are all blind beggars who've received the Lord's mercy. And so now we have the privilege of following Jesus, giving glory to Jesus, and in so doing, letting others see so that they might praise him in turn. Three points to draw out of this text, and I'll give them to you as we go along. The first one is this. Twelve seeing disciples are blind. Twelve seeing disciples are blind. Let's read verses 31 to 34 again. Jesus took the twelve and he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they'll kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. So Jesus calls the twelve to himself and he gives them a command. He says, see. It's a command. It's an imperative. Jesus is telling the disciples, see, don't miss this. And what does Jesus want his disciples to see? Well, that they're going up to Jerusalem and that everything that the prophets wrote about the Son of Man will be accomplished in that city. The purpose for which God the Son came into the world is about to be accomplished. We are nearing the end, the peak of the Lord's earthly ministry. He will make his entry into Jerusalem in the next chapter. And the Lord is telling the disciples, don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. Everything written about Messiah will be accomplished in Jerusalem. Everything. All the promises that God had made about the Messiah from Genesis 3.15 all the way through the entire, through, through the book of Malachi will be accomplished, will be fulfilled. 
In total, Jesus fulfilled more than 300 Old Testament prophecies. Seven are listed here. And of these seven, all of them were written either 700 to 1,000 years before the Lord Jesus was born. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. That's foretold in Psalm chapter 2. He will be mocked. That was foretold in Psalm 22. He'll be shamefully treated, Isaiah 53. He'll be spit upon, Isaiah 50. He'll be flogged, also Isaiah 50. He'll be killed, Isaiah 53. He'll rise again, as foretold in Psalm 16 and Psalm 49 and Isaiah 53 and Hosea 6. These seven prophecies were perfectly fulfilled by Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Consider the certainty of the Lord Jesus here. Everything written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. He will be delivered of the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be killed. He will rise on the third day. He predicted it, and he has accomplished it. So it's as if Luke is saying to Theophilus, you can trust it. You can have certainty. He predicted it. He accomplished it. This is the reason Jesus came. He came to save his people from their sins. It will be accomplished. It's the same word, that word accomplished. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John's gospel on the cross. It is finished. It is accomplished. And then we have verse 34. The disciples understood none of this. Now, if you've been with us in the series through Luke, you know this is the third time that Jesus has predicted his death. Third time. These boys still aren't getting it. Why don't the disciples see? One reason could be that they had wrong expectations about what Messiah would do and what he, who he would be. I mean, the Lord is often referred to in the Gospel of Luke as the Son of Man, which at first seems like it's a reference to his humanity, and that's part of it. But this title, Son of Man, comes from an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, where Daniel sees one, a person like the Son of Man, presented before Almighty God, and to him is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and languages would serve him. And so when the, when the disciples heard Jesus call himself the Son of Man, that's exactly what they thought. He's the one presented to the Ancient of Days who will receive a kingdom that will go on forever. All the people will come to worship him. That's what they thought. And they were right about that. The disciples did not expect, though, that Messiah would also suffer. They knew that he would come and conquer but they did not know that he would come and suffer to that. They were blind. Oh, but if you press into this verse, you'll see it's a little bit more than that, isn't it? Just unrealized expectations. 
Now look at the language that Luke uses here. This saying was hidden from them. Now, we've been told this before. Back in chapter 9, the last time that Jesus predicted his death, Luke says, they did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them. The question is, well, who's doing the hiding? What is concealing this reality, which you and I rejoice in and celebrate in the Lord's Supper every Sunday? Why, why don't they see it? How is it being concealed from them? Is it their ignorance? Are they just thick? Is it their sin? Is it God concealing these things from them? Is it the devil? Which is it? Well, the answer is yes. The disciples could see Jesus, but they couldn't see Jesus. And in the same way, the blind beggar in the next paragraph needed Jesus to feel to heal his physical blindness. These 12 disciples need Jesus to fix their spiritual blindness. The point that's being made in this paragraph is that every man, woman, and child is dependent upon the Lord for both physical sight as well as spiritual sight. And this is illustrated to us in the passage that follows. Unless the Lord is pleased to open blind eyes, blind eyes will not see. While these 12 disciples who see Jesus can't see Jesus, it is a blind beggar who can't see Jesus that sees Jesus. This is the second point. A blind beggar sees Let's go back to verse 35. As he drew near to Jerusalem, a blind man was sitting by the roadside and he was begging. He hears the crowd going by and he inquires what all this means. And they said to him, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's passing by. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, be merciful to me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. I want to see. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. The Lord Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem. In just a few weeks, he will complete his journey. And before he does, he enters the city called Jericho, which is about 18 miles away from Jerusalem. And they go up to Jerusalem. Anytime you talk in the New Testament, you notice it says they go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is a city on a hill. Jerusalem is down below, and they got to go up this hill to get to Jerusalem. And on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem, they encounter this blind man who is 
by the roadside, and he is begging. Now, of course, you know there are no social programs for the blind in those days. For century Palestine didn't have such a thing. And so the man would live on the charity of other people as they passed by. Perhaps he had a little cup of some kind that he would bang on the ground and people would hear him and drop money in. It was the only way the man could live. He couldn't work the land. He couldn't keep livestock. He couldn't build houses. He's blind. And so he's begging. A blind man, a beggar on the road to Jerusalem from Jericho. This we've heard before, haven't we? A road from Jericho to Jerusalem. In Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke, it's that same roadway where Jesus told the story about the man who thieves fell upon him and beat him up and left him for dead on the roadside between Jericho and Jerusalem. And on that same road, Jesus himself encounters this man virtually without hope, a blind beggar. Now, Jesus is traveling, and we learn from this passage that he's not alone. He's got his 12 disciples with him, to be sure, but now we learn he's got a crowd with him, which, of course, makes sense. Here is a miracle-working man who claims himself to be the Messiah of God, and he's making his way up to Jerusalem where he will take the throne of David and cast off the restraints of Rome and set up Jerusalem as a praise in all the earth. And so this sort of thing is going to draw a crowd. And so loads of people are following him. The blind man hears the crowd going by and inquires as to what's going on. And someone tells him, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's passing by. Now, we don't know how this man knew who Jesus was. Nor do we know how he knew who Jesus was. He just knows Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David. Now, we've been told throughout Luke's gospel that Jesus is the son of man. This is the first time in Luke where we hear that he is the son of David. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is a new title. His title comes from another prophecy, which foretold about Messiah. This prophecy appears in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The prophet Nathan made a prophecy foretold that God would raise up a king from the lineage of David, literally a son of David, who would build a house for the Lord, whose kingdom would have no end. So it's related to the prophecy that would come later in Daniel, but it provides that additional detail that this one who is the son of man is also the son of David. He'll be a king. He'll sit on David's throne, and he'll rule, and he'll reign forever. Now, back in chapter 3 of Luke, we learned that Jesus was indeed of the lineage of King David. Jesus of Nazareth, born to the Virgin Mary, adopted by Joseph, is of the lineage of He is literally a son of David. 
And so Jesus Christ is both the Son of Man and the Son of David, and a blind beggar is calling upon him for mercy. Verse 38 says, he cried out. The phrase there means that he, he was yelling. Probably a loud bunch of people following Jesus on their way to Jerusalem by foot. And so he's yelling. He has, to, he has to be heard by Jesus. And those who are in front hear him yelling and they rebuke him. Now, interestingly, we've seen people get rebuked for bringing, for wanting to go to Jesus. Remember early? And we, we looked at this, was it last week? I think it was last week. We looked at this. The disciples rebuked parents for wanting to bring their kids to Jesus. And so here we have people rebuking this man. And probably for the same reasons. This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the son of David. This is the son of man. This is the Messiah. He has set his face toward Jerusalem. He's going to take David's throne. He's going to receive the crown of David. And he's going to set up Jerusalem as a praise in all the earth. And he's going to rule and reign forever. Ben, read the room. Get out of the way. This is an important man. But the Bible says he cried out all the more. Now, there's a different word used here. This is like an inarticulate scream. <laughs> this man is shrieking. It's a frantic plea from a desperate man to get a hold of Jesus. It's the kind of sound that everyone around who hears it makes them uncomfortable. I must be heard. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is passing by. This might be his only chance. And so he screams. Now one immediately thinks of the widow at the beginning of Luke 18 who beat upon that judge for mercy. And what did Jesus promise? That God in heaven will hear the cries of his elect and give justice. Verse 40 is just marvelous. Jesus stopped. Jesus Christ stopped. The Son of David, the Son of Man, God the Son, the creator of the universe, the one that every molecule in the universe answers to, without question, Jesus, the Messiah, the Mashiach of God, on his way to destroy the devil, to destroy death itself, to redeem sinners from every tribe and tongue and language, is on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops for one blind beggar. Who cried out for mercy. Bring him to me. And Jesus asks him. What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> what kind of question is that? I mean what else would a blind beggar want from the great physician? I want to see. But you remember whenever Jesus ask questions, it's never because he needs the answer. It's always for the person that he's asking the question. 
And the blind man says, I, I need to see. Lord, I need to see. He makes the blind man confess his need. The blind man sees Jesus better than perhaps anyone else in that crowd. And says, Son of David the merciful, have mercy on me. I want to see. He knew his need. And he verbalized it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I wonder if you know your need half as well as this man. Friend, you are like the blind beggar. You need to see. And you need to see before you can see. You need to know that Jesus has passed before you today in the crowd that has been gathered in this worship service. You've heard about him, the songs that we've sung, the prayers that we've prayed in the very text that we've read this morning. And friend, will you let him pass you by before you cry out to him, have mercy on me? Sinner, you need to know that your need for Jesus is great. But Jesus is greater. And when you turn to him in faith, you'll receive mercy. He will turn to you and draw you to himself. And when you repent, your sins will be forgiven. And you'll be united to Christ. And you will see. And when you see Jesus, you will see the very purpose for your life. The very reason you were made. Friend, do that today. And then tell someone about it. If someone invited you to church, tell them after lunch, at lunch today. Or tell someone in the pew next to you. They'll begin meeting with you and telling you more about the glories of Jesus Christ that they've seen. The reality is we're all blind. And we all need God to come to us to open our eyes that we might see the glories of God in Jesus Christ. The disciples had heard the Scriptures they heard the Scriptures from the very one who wrote the Scriptures. Still, they didn't understand. But you know, Jesus didn't leave them alone very long. After His resurrection, the Bible says that Jesus allowed them to understand the Scriptures. And they saw. He opened their minds that they would understand. In, in another place, the Bible says that there was a, a woman named Lydia that God opened her heart to believe what she was hearing from the Apostle Paul. The point is, left to ourselves, we are all blind to the glories of God in the Bible. And so we must pray with the psalmist, Lord, open my eyes that I would see wondrous things from your law. For this reason, it was the Apostle Paul who prayed for the Ephesians that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. That they would know what is the hope to which he has called them and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We need God to open our eyes. And so, friends, let's pray that God would do so. Commentator Kent Hughes writes, 
Every time a man sins, he makes himself more blind, less capable of realizing what sin is, less likely of realizing that he is a sinner. We are all dependent upon the Spirit of God to open our eyes to let us see the glories of Jesus Christ and the filth of our sin. And the more that we refuse His Holy Spirit, the more that we refuse to recognize our sin and turn from it, the more our hearts are hardened by our sin and the less sensitive we become to the Holy Spirit's conviction of our sin. Which is one of the reasons why God is so kind to join us to a local church. Now, he knows how easily it is for us to resist his Holy Spirit. And so he gives us brothers and sisters in Christ, pastors, to expose our sin, things that we don't see in our own lives, in order that we would recognize it and that we would repent. And so each one of us must make it a constant practice in our own lives to appeal to the Lord for mercy. It's as if every morning the Lord gives you life. He's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And every morning, let our answer be the same. I want to see. I want to see you. I want to know my need for you. I want to see how you meet my need. Because until you see that you are a blind beggar, you will never see like the blind beggar. And when you do, when you call upon the son of David for mercy, he will do for you what he has done for this dear brother in this text. He will say, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Way back in chapter 4, in the section actually that we read this morning in our call to worship, Jesus predicted that this is exactly what he would do in his ministry. Proclaim the good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover sight to the blind. And what does this blind beggar do upon receiving sight? He follows Jesus. He gives glory to God. And his miracle of his new sight causes others to see and to give praise to God. And that's the last point that we'll draw from the text. That seeing saints reveal the glory of Christ. Seeing saints reveal the glory of Christ. This is verse 33 and this is where we'll end our time together. And immediately, the blind beggar recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. A once blind man recovered his sight. And when he did, he saw the whole purpose of his life. He began to follow Jesus. And to glorify God. Because once he saw, he saw. He saw the Lord in all of his glory. Scales fell off of his eyes, sort of like happened to Paul. And he saw the very meaning of life. 
and he gave up everything to follow Christ. And the result of this man's eyesight was that others saw Jesus too and gave praise to God. And he became an eyewitness. And maybe he even, maybe he even helped Luke write the Gospel of Luke to Theophilus so that Theophilus could have certainty about the things that he's heard. And perhaps the Lord even used that to have that written down so that you and I would be sitting here 2,000 years later and that we would receive certainty about the things that we've been taught. The preacher Adrian Rogers famously quipped that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Well, I hope Pastor Rogers doesn't mind my modifying his statement just slightly. Evangelism is one formerly blind person telling other blind people where to recover their sight. And I'm so encouraged by just so many of you who've been asking for prayer for unsaved loved ones. Last Sunday evening, we gathered as members here in this place, and we take prayer requests from all of the members, and it must have been half of you, I think, asking that your fellow brothers and sisters in your church would pray that God would open the blind eyes of an unsaved family member or friend. But not just that God would open their eyes, but that the Lord would use you fruitfully to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in their life. I'm so proud of you when you do this. It's a mark of a mature Christian, that you're recognizing priorities. It's not that asking for prayer for other things is wrong. It's just that these are eternal things. Family, friends, loved ones who need their eyes opened. Those who've called upon the name of the Lord, those who've cried out to the Lord Jesus for mercy, those who've had Jesus Stop and call them to himself and grant them sight. Those who have received the miracle of seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we have been given the privilege to sell all that we have and follow him. The privilege as those who see Christ to share Christ with those who don't see Christ. And so we go wherever he sends us. He sends some of us across the cubicle. He sends some of us across the cul-de-sac. He sends some of us across cultures to tell the blind what we see. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ in Piqua, Miami County, and the world until Christ is all. We follow Christ. We glorify Christ. We tell others about the mercy of God towards sinners through Christ. All because when we cried, Son of David, have mercy on me, he gave us sight. Jesus stopped seeing saints reveal the glory of Christ. And so, Christian, I want you this week to be thinking about what are some of the beauties of Jesus that God has revealed to you. And after the Lord has revealed that to you, I want you to be thinking, who can I tell? 
Perhaps you can invite someone over to lunch. Maybe have someone into your home for dinner. And open the scriptures. And begin to share with them some of the beauties of Christ that you have been enabled to see. God has opened your eyes. He has shown you mercy. So like the blind beggar who now sees, follow him, glorify him, and let others know about the miracle that God has done in your life. When Fanny Crosby was asked if she regretted being blind, she replied, If at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Now that's a blind woman who sees. And God may have chosen not to heal Miss Crosby's physical sight, but he most certainly healed her spiritual sight. And may the Lord have mercy on all of us in the same way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the creator and sustainer, the giver of life. We thank you and we praise you for your kindness to us today, for opening our eyes that we might see the glories of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us for resisting your Spirit's convicting work. Forgive us for neglecting to listen to your Spirit, to listen to your servants who expose our sin and call us to repent. Lord, thank you for persisting with us and how you might have just left us in our sin, but you do not leave us to be hardened and cold. You, you stopped. You moved toward us. You warmed our affections. You softened our hearts. You opened our eyes. You showed us mercy. And so, Lord, we ask you that you would enable us, give us boldness to share the truths, the beauties that we know, the things about God that we have seen in your word. Give us boldness to share them with others this week. As many of us are preparing to get together for Christmas and holidays, may these meals not just be meals shared, but also the glories of Christ being shared. Even if others don't want to hear it, give us boldness to share it. And Lord, open their eyes. As you did with the Apostle Paul, as you have done with us, open our eyes. Open their eyes. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Now, if you please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. At the end of our service, we go to God's Word looking for an assurance of pardon. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, God has promised you forgiveness for your sins from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now please sing with us one last song.